Hello, and welcome to Platforms and Pitfalls. I'm Ben Slinger. And I'm Trevor Scott. And we're not your usual hosts, but we are going to talk about game design today because we think game design is cool and worth talking about. This is a gaming podcast that usually looks at five different games each month relating to a topic and looking at how they all approach that topic in different or similar ways. Today's going to be a little bit different, though. We're going to talk about adventure game design and the different passes and ways that designers and studios um, took to that. Yeah. And in case you're wondering, who are these people and why are they here? We're taking part in the AGPN Shuffle. That's the Australasian Gaming Podcast Network. And this is just a fun little event we're doing where a bunch of podcasts are switching uh, switching episodes, taking control of each other's podcasts. So, usually we are on the podcast Bitstorm, uh, which is a comedy game design podcast by two guys, that's us, who know nothing about comedy nor game design. And uh, Trevor, do you want to just give them a little rundown of what we do on our show? Yep. Usually we have a random word generator. We have some words. We click refresh on the count of three to one click. We take those words, we mash them together, come up with some game design ideas. It could be narrative games, could be action games, it could be really shit games. That's it. So you can you can go and check out Blue and Rowan on our feed. Uh, it will be episode one eighteen, uh, where they did a a, a great episode of our show. Mm. Uh, but uh, right now we're going to do an episode of their show. So sit back and enjoy as we discuss. Adventure game interfaces. And, and we're going to talk about- We're going to do this a little bit differently. Uh, we're not going to just focus on five games, but we are going to focus on approximately five kind of iterations of adventure game interfaces and primarily sort of point and click adventures. We're going to go back to some of the retro ones and then uh, talk about some of the newer modern ones as well as it sort of applies uh, per interface. So, the first interface, Trevor, we're going to talk about- is. Starting way back in the early, early days, uh, is text parses. Yeah. Primarily Sierra. Yeah. Once you get into the graphical stuff, and we're kind of going to skip the the old pure text adventures because there's a that's sort of a whole other thing because they've really continued on over the years. Uh, you know, there's a whole rich yeah. interactive fiction community still doing pure text adventures, but we're really yeah. going to focus on, on graphical adventures. I, I mean, really- the text parser comes from from the good old just text adventures, sort of like your Zorks, your Colossal Cave adventure, but pretty much you were you were stuck to two or so words that you could put together. Yeah, very very basic grammar uh, that they kind of had had with them. Yeah, I believe. Um I can't actually find evidence of this, but I seem to recall that one of the very earlier games that combined graphics and text parses was the pre-Legislary game Soft Porn Adventure. Yeah. I think that's true. <laughs> okay. So, um, as far as I remember, Soft Porn actually was purely text adventure. But Sierra Online, who, who um, before they became the Sierras, we- sort of new back in the 80s, they created a whole heap of mixed sort of games where, where there was, like, some some very basic graphics and a text parser. And that was, like, Mission Asteroid and Mystery House and Wizard and the Princess and a whole heap of other ones like that. Before they, they 
worked out a technology to actually do 3D, well, semi-3D yeah. um, adventure uh, games using vector graphics well. and, and that sort of stuff. But we're not here to talk about the graphics. We're here to talk about the text parser itself and what it means to adventure games. So Yeah, so uh, some of the earliest games I remember using the text parser on are the Sierra games, things like the, the early King's Quest, Space Quest, uh, Police Quest. Yes. And a few other things, I guess, I find that it brought to the gameplay itself was, I mean, obviously, it really gave the impression that you could do whatever you wanted in this world. Definitely. You could just type something in in your character sometimes, but- it felt like always, you know, would do it. Uh, realistically, it was, again, a, a, re- a relatively limited uh, vocabulary. A- and, you know, sometimes you had problems with having to type in the right noun, you know, the right word for a noun. Or the right spelling of, say, the word license. Because in Police <laughs> Quest, like, there's a few different ways of saying license. And then there's... You know, a few things in in those early games that um, you had to really think about it from an American point of view. Being an Australian, trying to type into an American- Well, there you go. There's definitely sort of somewhat of an accessibility thing, uh, problem there with, you know, with the text parser in that. I mean, for one, they were quite limited to English speakers. Yes. Uh, I don't know if they did translations of those early games or not, but I feel like it would have been a fairly arduous task at the time with the technology and such. And, yeah, you know, you had to know how to spell. Uh, I remember, for whatever reason, not knowing the word condom, uh, but somehow figuring out that I had to type prophylactic into Legislate Larry 1. (laughs) I just typed in rubber. So, that was was fun to spell. (laughs) I'm not sure how I even came across that, but- (laughs) Uh, But, hey, I was learning at 12 years old. Um, One thing that, to me, the whole text parser- did actually do it. it. It had, especially in the King's Quest and Space Quest and Police Quest, had more of a a learning sort of thing in which um, kids could learn to type. Well, people, people yeah. in general could learn to type. Look, I think it definitely had an aspect of that. And part of it was because, yeah, particularly those very early ones, the game wouldn't pause while you were typing. Yep. Right? So, there's two different um, text parsers that- that Sierra uh, worked with. One was AGI, which was the Adventure Game Interpreter, and then the other one was SCI, the Sierra Creative Interpreter. And the SCI games were the later ones that started in, like, King's Quest Four, Space Quest Three, Police Quest II, um, Leisure Suit Larry Two and Three, and basically they would pause the action uh, when, when you started typing, but the earlier AGI ones would not... Um, not pause yeah. the action and you'd be able to type it straight away. Which led to some interesting problems, particularly as a young kid who couldn't type very fast. Yeah. Uh, there are a few I see, I recall. Um, one of them was Space Quest 2, where you had to swim. And I mean, swim isn't. Is yeah. that what it was? Or die yeah, or was, something? It was swim. It was swim. And look, that's not a long word, but there was still that time pressure- uh, as a kid, as you're pecking away at the keyboard and, and Roger Wilco is on the screen drowning. And depending on ha- on whether you had the turbo button pushed in on your 386. Well, exactly. <laughs> it could be a very, actually a very short amount of time. 
Uh, and the other one, which was extremely important, which is was Legislative Larry 1, where you needed a cert- to type a certain password to get past a pimp so you could fuck a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> also at approximately 12 years old playing this game. So, hmm, good job, mum and dad. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I recall having to very quickly start typing that, you know, halfway through the- Because the speech- Like a speech bubble would come up and it would freeze the game. Yes. Uh, like a, nar- a, nar- a narration. Um, and so, <laughs> you'd be like- You knew that the next thing you'd have to type after a few sp- speech things uh, was Ken sent me. So, you'd start typing it right away and get it in there. Uh, I just- Yeah, that, that was one of those- well, Another one of those time pressure things. Not quite as bad as- as as uh, Dire as drowning, but you know, yeah, and especially as a, as a young kid, you're seeing someone drowning on the screen. And you're like, oh my god, I typed it in wrong. <laughs> yeah, oh my god, he's, he's he hasn't figured out how to zoom. Oh, the, the, the problem with Sierra was the fact that you could die everywhere, but that's not what today is about. <laughs> 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 yeah, we're not talking about death mechanics. Uh, look, I mean, it can't. It was related, obviously, because of those timing issues, because of uh, not not just not knowing the right words for things or doing something too early, as we find out later on in Space Quest Two. Just watch how Bitstorm <laughs> plays a point click repeat, point and click, point click repeat. Space Quest Two end of the end of the episode, and yeah, we had a few issues there. <laughs> <laughs> Go check out our YouTube video of that. But yeah, look, I think overall the text parser, the main thing it gave you was that huge option space, yeah. uh, uh, which is both a positive and a negative. Uh, well, especially in, in like limitations. Say, as well. go to Police Quest Two, and you've and you've got the whole um, the whole thing about you're a police officer, you're asking people questions. You can actually type in the question that you want to ask. And it feels like you can ask almost anything. It felt a lot more fluid, yes. for sure. Uh, and I'm not sure if it just looked for keywords. Uh, I'm not. I don't know how rigid. I don't recall how rigid the the questions, like how specific you had to make them to what the the game designer intended. You kind of did because it was it was basically a dialogue tree that you didn't know all the all the responses that you wanted. Yeah, to it was ask. like an invisible dialogue tree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. One of the things that sort of hurt the whole dialogue thing was the fact that you had to be within a certain place. I mean, we've done some game design stuff. You know that if you need something to trigger uh, based on something that you want to, you want to do, you have to sort of put a, put the object that um, needs to trigger something within a trigger box or a trigger volume or something like that. In Police Quest 2, there's a scene that's, that you're swimming underwater and you can quite clearly see on the screen that there is a knife. You type mm-hmm. in get knife, but if you're not in the right <laughs> position, you don't pick up the knife. Whereas with a mouse control, you could just go, okay, there's the knife, click, bang, you got it. Yeah, and you have some sort of feedback then uh, that you might, you know, that it'll highlight it or whatever. Yeah. Uh, that was that was definitely another limitation. There was no pixel hunting, really. Yeah. When you had a text parser, you had to- because look, that this was this was the day and age where you could still type "look" and you would get a description of the room that you're in, even though it's right there in front of you. Yeah. Because that was a way for them to give you hints as to what was actually inter- you know interactive or, or um, what was relevant a sprite to the and what plot. was background. <laughs> 
Yeah, but I mean, again, like, because of the way they were made, it wasn't necessarily that obvious. Uh, there were certainly are some games where you had a visual indication that something was was placed a little bit differently or overlaid onto the static background. But yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Well, that brings us. That brings us to the end of phase one. <laughs> <laughs> that brings us to the end of the text parser. Yeah. But so I think what comes next. What comes next? Where can, where can you where can you take this this wonderful adventure game idea? It's impossible. That's the pinnacle. That's the pinnacle of an adventure game inter- interfaces. End of episode. <laughs> so that's the end of platforms and pitfalls today. Um, we've got no other idea. Hang on, we said point and click before. Oh yeah, there's no point in clicking in uh, text parsers. No, well there kind of is. Like Sierra and SEI did try to bring in some mouse movement and that sort of stuff that you could click somewhere but it didn't do very good pathfinding so it just sort of tried to walk directly there yep but as we go on through the next few ideas um and the new next iterations of adventure game interfaces we look upon the verb bar verb bar uh so uh, was uh, well, look, before I get into this, I, I should have said this earlier. Uh, I want to give a little bit of a disclaimer. We didn't do nearly as much research as Blue and Rowan usually do. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know Trevor's done a bit more than I have. He went, he's gone back and he has, you know, recently played through a few different adventure games. I'm mostly going <laughs> off. I'm mostly going off memory and YouTube. Uh, but I have, pl- I have played a lot of these games in, in my past. So, what I was going to ask is, was Maniac Mansion the first game that did the verb bar? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. So, this is the classic LucasArts, or Lu- well, that little Lucasfilm. At the Lucasfilm time, Games, they? yes. Yeah. Designed by Ron Gilbert. Technically a point and click, even though it didn't use the mouse, the original version. You had to move the cursor around with your keyboard. Yep. Well, I think was it even was it Commodore was Commodore sixty four the first uh, Commodore sixty four is the definitive release. Um, yeah, okay. I remember listening to the um, the Thimbleweed Park podcast and um, uh, Ron Gilbert and uh, who was the other guy who basically both both creators of uh, Gary Winnick. Yeah, Gary Winnick. Yep. Um, they were both talking about how the Commodore 64 version was the first and and the ideal version. Um, the next mm-hmm. version that was that was good was the um, was the PC version. Yeah, the MS DOS. MS DOS. But back then there were fifteen verbs that they used. Yeah. So, and, and I think this is going to be a theme of this episode. But as adventure game interfaces went on, they started to simplify uh and basically that huge option space that we just talked about in text parses starts to shrink now in general i think this is for the good uh i think it's a good thing because you know there there were a lot of downsides to the text parser as we talked about Mm -hmm. having to know specific words and the right verbs to use uh and you do lose a few things as well i think which we'll talk about yep so but would you like me to go through all 15 verbs? I was just about to ask you that, Trevor. Verb me up. Okay, so we have 
push, pull, give, open, close, read, walk to, pick up, what is, unlock, new kid, use, turn on, turn off, and fix. So, yeah, new kid is a fun verb. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to new kid that uh, door. Uh, But that was because Maniac Mansion had multiple kids that you could play at any one point. So, you can switch between them. Uh, I do notice a lot of- Opposites there. Yes. Uh, you know, push, pull, open, close. Turn on, turn off. Turn on, turn off. Unlock. You didn't have a lock, funnily enough. I just was no locking to be done. Yes. Well, what's what's interesting about the Lucasfilm, LucasArts way of, of going was back then the screen space was very, very limited. You, you only had yeah. 320 by 240. Um, that was the, the typical- um, sort of dimensions of, of the pixels. You think about it in today's terms, you know, 1920 by 1080 seems like almost not enough nowadays. People are already talking 4K, but back then they only had 320 by 240 or sometimes even 320 by 200 that they could they could deal with. And they took up the bottom third of the bloody screen with a verb bar <laughs> and inventory. Yeah. It, it was an interesting choice. But, you know, these were the heady days of, of early uh, video game development. Yeah, look, that was definitely a downside to them. Uh, although, for memory requirements and that sort of thing, it probably helped. Hmm. But, yeah, looking at games today, you'd never see an interface that took up that much, you know, that much screen space. Uh, but, you know, look, let's talk a little bit about, about what it really improved upon uh, because it still took a lot from the text parser. Mm-hmm. A big part of what the verb bar was doing, especially in the Maniac Mansion games and onto the Monkey Island games and and even the Indiana Jones games. Indiana was, Jones, Day of the Tentacle. Um, well, less so in Day of the Tentacle, because what I was going to say is you're really building up a sentence. Yes. Uh, I don't- I did, Was Day of the Tentacle- I guess Day of the Tentacle still had a bit of that. Yes, I've got uh, a lot I think it was right sort now. of- Okay. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, so, yeah, look, th- what was happening here is you would click a verb, you know, pick up, and then you'd pick move up. your cursor onto something in the environment. And as you moused over them, no, well, no, not in Maniac Mansion, right? You didn't find, you didn't see if something was usable until you clicked it. No, but by but- the time that it got to Day of the Tentacle, you could yes. um, click your pick up. And then you could hover over and you can see, like, pick up help wanted sign or pick up dime. Yes. So, you'd sort of get- It, it was a way to explore the environment uh, as well as, obviously, building up this sentence to instruct your player uh, as to what, what you want them to do. And, look, that's a, that's a really interesting idea. And, and in, certain, uh, in certain cases, it was even uh, larger sentences where it was, like, use- something with something else, you know. Yes. Uh, and that would generally be particular uh, particular items in the environment were supposed to be used with, you know, an additional inventory item or, or whatever. And so, you'd, you know, you'd click use, you'd click the thing and you'd get use stereo with, and you're like, oh, I need to choose something else here. <laughs> uh, so, it even sort of gave you some hints into the environment in some ways. Um. Something I've just remembered about text parsers, and this is this is just something because it's because it's based off of sentences. Mm-hmm. The very final screen in Leisure Suit Larry Two has a bug in the fact that they were trying to get full sentences actually working throughout the game. 
And uh-huh. so, there's a part where normally, as you were typing in a text parse, you'd say, put dime in back or, you know, something as very simple as possible. Whereas- Yeah, you could kind of- You'd kind of cut down on, on some of your, your little joining yeah, words so there. Yeah, so you'd and skip quite a lot- Break it down into the core- A lot of the time- The core words of the sentence, yeah. yeah. you'd skip the these and all that sort of stuff. Well, in order to get this thing actually working, you had to say, put the um, dime into the bag to actually- And it was literally just that it specific was sentence. that specific that you had to go down to just in that one screen. Everywhere else it would That's work. That's bizarre. But um, they totally stuffed up that particular screen. And you know what? That's back in the days before patches existed. So, they never- Well, the internet. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they had BBSs. (laughs) Yeah. You could maybe, if you were tech savvy enough, you could maybe find out how to to finish that. But uh, there are a lot of frustrated people out there who didn't get to see the final scene in Leadership Larry 2, which, you know, was a masterpiece. I don't actually remember. Yeah. Presumably, he had sex with somebody. Oh, it was a bit different, that one. That was very different. That was- um, Actually, no, he got married, didn't he? Yeah. At the end of- uh, He got married. But- Oh, no, wait. He got married to Legendary 1, because then you start Legendary 2 being kicked out of the house. I think you were just in a, in a relationship, but it wasn't very- This is beside yes. the point. Yeah, maybe. This is beside the point. Okay, back into Lucasfilm, LucasArts games. Yeah, and look, I think we can also start to branch out a little bit here because Sierra did start bringing in basically their equivalent of a verb bar as well. And and theirs was, you know, a, a bar at the top of the screen. And look, this was a bit later, the Maniac Mansion, obviously. Yes. They, they stuck with the text parser for a while. But uh, it, they'd have just a series of icons and you had a certain number of verbs Generally, quite a few less than the the Lucasfilm games. Yes, but sometimes some unusual ones. Well, that's it. I think they kind of started that idea then of having a bit of a gimmick verb as well. Yeah. So, so yeah, I recall in uh, Space Quest 4, I think. Yes. You had uh, smell and taste. Yes. I believe. Um, in, In Leisure Suit Larry 5, there was a zipper icon, of course. Yes, of course. Because and, and you used it a lot, actually. <laughs> so, generally, the icons were walk, look, touch, slash use, and um, then a speech bubble. Talk. Yeah. Some sort of talk to. And then, of course, you had your separate inventory. The weird thing about Sierra is, though, that you couldn't use all the same verbs for your inventory. Like, they had a separate That's right, set of ha- yeah. verbs specifically for your inventory. So, they could choose whether you um, you would use the look icon or a touch or just a select. But what would actually happen is that, especially, say, in Space Quest 4, if you, say, near the start of the game, pick up the bunny, the use icon or the look icon would do something different to what you'd expect it to do. Yeah, it was a bit inconsistent. Yeah. So- because they didn't have um, something like, um, you know, push or pull or something like that that you could actually- or open or- Or yeah. open the bunny or something like that. You had to use these these very limited um, verbs, I, I, I would almost say, 
And yeah, it was it was a very interesting way of doing it. Um, I'm not sure I agree wholeheartedly. I think what yeah, I think what really made that uh, a little uh, unintuitive was that you kind of then changing the state of things in your inventory, and there were very few things you could do that on. Mm. So, like in the case of the bunny. You to do what you actually wanted to do, you literally had to click use on it twice. Yeah. Right? The first time would turn the bunny. The second time- Turn it around and you'd see a battery in the back. And then the second time would take that battery out. Spoilers, sorry for those who played the start. It's literally before. the first bloody It's object. the very first well, puzzle. It's one of the first puzzles. Yeah. So, yeah, like- Or if you miss it, that- it's one of the last puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, that- um, yeah, I, I, do, I think that just came across as a bit unintuitive and felt a bit strange because also some games, I think, I don't know if it was other Sierra games or just other games that had similar things, it would be a look that would have done that turnaround. And then, the like, the uh, again, it, was never, it wasn't consistent as to what would kind of change that state of, you know, if you had to turn a piece of paper over or something, I think sometimes it would be a look that might, you know, that might trigger that state change. So, yeah. Yeah, that's that's sort of a tricky one. It with, is. With uh, verbs in your inventory. It is, rather than being able to type in turn paper. But the Sierra choice did bring about a, a big upside, um, which pretty much I think because of the way they started where they had the full screen act- actually available to the user at all times, mm-hmm. they- they were able to keep that that going because the verb bar was hidden at the top and the inventory was a separate, like, pop-out screen. Um, so, therefore, you had the full 320 pixels by 240 pixels or whatever it was back then mm-hmm. um, available to show the pristine um, graphics. It's true. Yeah, it's true. That was They were probably one of the earlier companies then to do that really- like hand-drawn full-screen graphics, yeah. Uh, particularly in adventure games, because yeah, a, a lot of the other games, like the Lucasfilms ones, still had so much of the screen taken up by the interface yeah. and the verb bar. Um, Sam and Max, I think, was one of the last ones that used effectively like the the earlier version of the Scum engine, the uh, script creation utility for Maniac Mansion. Yes, which then lasted a very long time and got a lot of upgrades for a lot yes. of other games. Basically, they, they kept on upgrading, upgrading, upgrading. When they finally got to do Sam and Max, they did away with the verb bar down the bottom and they turned it into more of a Sierra interface, except you had to go into the inventory and your verbs were now inventory items. Uh, ones that couldn't be yeah, taken we're- away, but you had like little fingers for walking and you had an eye and you had a, a grabbing hand and a and like a, a squeezing and a hand max. for the um for the use. Um so you had separate pick up and, and um and use icons. Um another game that did that was actually Leisure Suit Larry Five that did have a pick up and a um and a use icon that was separate. Yeah, well look and that that's an interesting uh, discussion about how no, the verb bars six, have sorry. changed. Leisure Suit Larry Six used a pickup icon. Right. Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, but that's that's an interesting discussion about how the verb bars have actually changed. Because really, one of the things they've done as they've taken those options away from you is taken away some of the nuance of what's available to you. Yes. So you know, not only have they got rid of the entire option space, but for they've conflated similar verbs. 
Uh, so yeah, particularly a use and a pickup. Uh, look, I think I think a lot of games had a use and a pick- did Monkey Island because Monkey Island we haven't talked about this yet, but Monkey Island brought it down to nine. Um, right. So the first version of Monkey Island still had the fifteen also, or okay. slightly diff- slightly different, but it still had a lot of yeah. them. Um, and then a later release of Monkey Island came down to nine. And those nine were give, open, close, pick up, look at, talk to, use, push, and pull. Yeah. So, what's interesting there is even though they've, you know, they, they've got rid of nearly half of them, but uh, they've managed to, well, for one, there's still a use and a pick up. There's still a push and a pull. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, yeah, my point about that was this sort of- You've still got certain levels of intentionality and nuance around what you are, as the controller, intending to do. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, obviously lost the more you, you combine those verbs down. What, what the great thing about the sentence version is, if you click use an inventory item and the place that you want to, you want to click, you know what you want to do with it. If you- um, yes. Or if you want to say, use a spray bottle on a character, you can do that separate to giving the spray bottle to the character. In the Sierra way of yeah. doing it, you select the inventory item and you click on, click on the person. You don't know what's actually going to happen. It may actually use the spray bottle. It may give the spray bottle. You don't know because you don't have control over that. That's a really, really good point, actually. Um, particularly on, on those particular verbs uh you know obviously having the two verbs helps with that a lot but also the sentence bar helps with that a lot like you could imagine uh a game having just use but as you mouse it over you know use spray bottle on person it might change to give in the sentence bar so you know oh okay that's at least what's going to happen um so yeah i'd actually i'd actually consider that really a, a, a game design issue where you don't you don't know what the effect is going to be before you do it. I mean, you have a look. You have a look at the latest version of of like this this verb and sentence structure, and that was actually seen only a couple of years ago with Thimbleweed Park, again done by Ron Gilbert and Gary Winnick, but they they took back the the old style of of using the nine verbs and and pretty much cre- recreating this whole style but with a um with a new slick feel to it yeah and look this is obviously intended very specifically to be a throwback uh to this style of game and to you know to their first game uh, games uh with maniac mansion um even down to the art style in certain degrees a few things that they did in interesting ways they got around the interface taking up, you know, a third of the screen by extending the backgrounds down below the verbs and the inventory mm. uh, to give you a nice, and, and, you know, so you just had a nice alpha blended verb bar and inventory sitting over the top of these full screen backgrounds, which, you know, obviously is something only modern day games could do. You didn't have the resolution or probably even the graphics processing to, you know, overlay the sprites well enough necessarily Back when when the the earlier games were made, especially when you have a look at the size differences between them, like of course, um, Day of the Tentacle. If you take the sound files out, it's about fourteen meg. <laughs> yeah. um, Thimbleweed Park 
is about 1.2 gig. So Is that with the voice, though? That's with voices in there, but you take those <laughs> out, and I reckon it's still up around the 500, 600 meg. Yeah, yeah, just um, the high resolution and- High resolution, slightly better quality and and, and probably the- I mean, look, the code's not going to take that much, but uh, it back in Maniac Mansion, they were developing that on whatever it was, 6502 or, you know- hmm. And 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 just and see. Whereas nowadays they're using much more abstracted languages that, you know, they, they might compile compile down, uh, I, I guess. But in general, they're going to be larger just because they're they're abstracting away more of the the basic, um, bare metal processing. Yeah, I mean, look looking at at the verb bar, I've got a very soft spot for it in my heart. I think it's one of my preferred ways of playing a game. Um, the Sierra one to a lesser extent because um, as much as I love Sierra, I, I feel like they're best. They were best with the text parser at the time. Um, at least that's what that's what my brain is saying. Oh, look, I think I think people can definitely agree that that was sort of their golden age yep. uh, in certain ways. Was their text parser games? They're on top of their game as it were uh <laughs> oh god with with a lot of those early and look i think they they use the text parser for a, a long time like there's got to be at least 10 15 games they made yeah uh, across all their different series that that use the the same engine and the, and the text parser uh so they they kind of really set the scene and it wasn't until lucasfilm came in and and started changing things up that they sort of had to start following suit in certain ways. Yeah. I mean, they first started playing around with a different parser, like Sierra did, while they were still doing a text parser. Around 1987, they released a game called The Black Cauldron, and it used function keys to basically do some verbs. Um, I think huh. F4, F6, and F8 were the, diff- were the three function keys. Um, you still moved your character around, but I think you hit F4 to, to look, F6 to use, and F8 to talk to. And it was just an interesting way of, of doing it. You still had to be close to the character because you couldn't click anywhere, but it, it was just a different way of interacting with the um, with the system. But it was an early attempt. That's really interesting, actually, because that's a very, yeah, very early attempt of a, of a quite simple uh, set of verbs. Yeah. Uh, very different to the text parsers of the time, for sure. The Black Cauldron. There we go. 1987. Uh, 14th of June, 1987. Wow, that's only uh, four months before Maniac Mansion came. Okay. So, you hit F3 to get an object from your inventory. F4 to use that object. F6 to do something in the environment. And F8 to look. So they were they were the yeah. So you basically had a yeah. So you basically had a look, a use, uh, and then your inventory. Yeah, it's basically it. That's very that's very few. In fact, we'll talk about this later. That's very similar to where a lot of games ended up Mm. uh, with just those couple of verbs. Uh, Look, and and so to to stay on the the verb bar for a bit longer because look, this is really. The meat and potatoes. Really, everything from this point is a verb bar of some sort, and we will talk about sort of some of the variations on it. But one of the big things that a lot of people like about the verb bar, and particularly in comedy games, which most of the early ones 
were, I mean, mostly across the board, I would say, point and click adventures tend towards comedy, mm-hmm. uh, is that it gave you the opportunity. And again, this comes under your intentionality of what you're trying to do with something. Uh, but it gave the intentionality of funny responses to things that were not actually the correct answer. Yes. Because, look, obviously, you can imagine going through a game where only the actual correct path gives you anything other than, I can't do that here, would be incredibly boring. So, a lot of these games, you know, you try to do something weird and, yeah, you'd get an amusing response back. Um, I think LucasArts probably did that the best or Lucasfilm LucasArts did that the best and they they sort of, especially in the later games, they they came up with interesting ways of of bringing that back in. For sure. Although Sierra definitely hit a lot of jokes uh, behind just doing things that you maybe wouldn't True. exactly expect. Uh, a lot of Easter yeah. eggs, a lot of, um, lot of other things, yeah. especially in the Space Quest games. Not so much in the Police Quest. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, the comedy, it really comes out more in the comedy games, I think, because you've got more options for just- you know, a, a weird non sequitur that is completely different, completely separate from the plot and, and the game, but just based on that action, yeah. you can come up with with some f- sort of funny joke. And look, I think the best games, and and I couldn't necessarily pick one that does this, but I think the best games are the ones that let you know a bit more about the world you're exploring through those non sort of puzzle solution interactions, right? Yep. Where they fill in the world. Well, exactly. It basically gives you some exposition. It gives you, can give you some character development, uh, even if it's about your character. Uh, and it can give you some jokes. Like, there are a lot of option- opportunities there. And as the verbs have sort of slowly disappeared, for the most part, in these, in these point-and-click adventure games, that's definitely been something that the fans have sort of lashed back at is, but we want the opportunity to do stupid stuff and get funny responses. Hmm. Uh, and look, that's obviously a big um, times. Like you know, it, it makes the necessary writing to be done for a particular game through the roof. But the games that do it well, you know, it, it's it very memorable. Mm-hmm. Okay, so our next topic is the verb coin. Yeah, the verb coin. Uh, so this. And look, like we said, this is sort of just another variation on the verb bar in certain ways. But the the way it worked with the interface was a little bit different. Uh, it really went all out on allowing these games to have the full screen backgrounds. Because literally there was generally no interface at all until you clicked on something. Yes. So, the idea behind this was instead of clicking on a verb and then clicking on something you wanted to apply that verb to, you'd find something in the world- generally hold down your mouse button and you would get, and I think the word verb coin comes from pro- probably from one of the earlier games to do it, which was Monkey Island 3, where it was a literal coin. Uh, <laughs> but, doubloon, but generally- <laughs> A doubloon. <laughs> but generally it would give you a set of verbs uh, that you would then select from, uh, like with a drag and release as opposed to sort of a few clicks. Yep. So, for example, you know- You'd, you'd hold down the key on a window, 
a coin would pop up and it would have, and often they were very stylized. So you'd have, uh, I think the Monkey Island one had like a skull and crossbones. So you'd move up to the eyes and that was for look at. You'd move to the mouth and these would all highlight or animate as you sort of moused over them basically, um, you know, for talk to. And then I think you had like um, a, a hand on one side and maybe a mouth, or, no, uh, something else on the other. Maybe, maybe it was your inventory. I can't remember exactly. But basically it would give you four or five verbs. And, you, and generally, the standard ones, pretty much the ones that we that we talked about in the Sierra ones. Uh, although, again, variations, gimmicky ones. Occasionally, uh, full throttle had a dedicated kick verb on your verb coin. Uh, considering you played a biker, that was a biker that was uh, appropriate. Yep. So, the verb coin had. In the middle, the eyes. On the left-hand side was a hand, and on the right-hand side was a parrot. Uh, okay. Yes. Oh, I'm getting confused with the full throttle one where you did have the eyes and the yes. mouth, I think, in the, like, um, sort of uh, belt buckle-ish, yep. you know, gargoyle thing. Yeah. <laughs> Heavy metal. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, look, I think- this added a few things, as we said, uh, gave you the opportunity to just hide away the interface completely. Uh, it, um, again, limited the verbs down somewhat, which is, as we've talked about, sort of a, a positive and a minus in different ways. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, I think there is a- No, sorry. I think it streamlined. It streamlined the whole process. Um, yeah. It, it certainly felt very natural. I remember- going from Monkey Island 2 to Monkey Island 3 and thinking this just feels like a natural evolution of where it had to go next. Yeah, I think it might be my favourite iteration uh, because you've still got enough verbs that you can get some funny responses. You can, you know, not all of them are going to apply to every single thing. And so- But talking to a tree can be very funny. (laughs) Well- Broken age managed that, but <laughs> um, but yeah, you could go around in full throttle and you know use your kick verb on everything and get funny responses and that sort of thing. But it wasn't so many verbs that the writers had to come up with ridiculous things for you know both push and pull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I think I, I, I feel like that was the most streamlined while still giving you a good option space for for how many for what interactions you had. But it, uh, available to it you. came right at the very end of, of like, LucasArts' actual um, catalogue of of adventure games. Like, after, after Full Throttle, I think there was only one more adventure game before it sort of went into a 3D space. So, I think after Full Throttle, there was The Dig, and that's a different interface entirely. But mm-hmm. basically, the two that used the verb coin for LucasArts was Curse of Monkey Island and Full Throttle. And both of those are fantastic adventure games. Absolutely. Absolutely gorgeous. Absolutely. Because, I mean, this is later on in the in the, in the PC's unit. The PC's have been around for quite a while now. Graphics are, are up to 640 by 480 at least. Um, absolutely gorgeous. Super VGA graphics. Yeah, all, all voice acted and... and- you know, really, uh, really great animations, and it was it was a really good time for for point and click adventure games for sure. Yeah, 
Now, a little bit earlier than this, there was another attempt at a verb coin. And it was done by another company. Mm-hmm. For Interesting. Return to Zork. Oh my god, why would you want to go back there? Um, You'll be eaten by a guru. Yes. So, Zork were originally originally three text adventure games. And they came up with a, a um, almost early FMV style game for, um, or full motion video style game for um, DOS CD-ROM that used a version of the verb coin where you would say, we'll take, we'll take the very start screen. On the start screen, you, um, where you first start, there's a sign and at the bottom of the sign, there's a plant. When you clicked on the plant, you were given a whole heap of different options. And every single one of these options were animated and they just appeared around the object that you'd clicked on. So like a verb coin, except they'd be independent for for each object. So you had- for So the they were plant, more context sensitive. Yeah. So for the plant, you could pick it up, you could dig it up, you could pull it out, you could cut cut the plant and every single one of these would actually be like would it actually give you a different response yeah and let's just say this plant was very very important and you could choose the worst response right at the very start of the game and it was unfinishable (laughs) yeah that's not difficulty that's just being an asshole yeah um although having said that the idea of it in general is not terrible like, I, I could get behind the idea of having a verb coin that had a set of context-specific verbs, all of which basically anything they could think of something funny to write for, right? Yeah. Um, and, it, and look, in a way that kind of makes it more of a multiple choice, not that it's not that anyway when you have a verb coin, but if it's literally only the ones that are going to give you responses, it sort of it does feel like another streamlining. Uh, obviously, it sounds like they did a shit job of that and that that's not what it was, but- I could I could get behind the general idea of it. It probably didn't help that, as I recall, like you said, each one was animated in a very kind of little uh, low-res icon sort of way uh, where you couldn't quite tell what each thing actually meant either. Uh, and I think it told you when you, like, mouse over it, right? But still, it, it was ugly and, and just kind of yeah. overwhelming. Okay. So, at the very start, you- you had you could look at it, you could pull it, you could pick it up and put it into your inventory, or you could just pick it up. Later on, when you get like a knife, you can also cut it. You can do some other things. Um, if you get a shovel later on, you can dig it up. Like it, it's one of these sort of things that. See, that's interesting because that, like, having that context sensitivity, account for what's in your inventory. That also streamlines things in a way, but also leans towards then making it too easy, yeah. I think. Because then you know exactly- Then you lose that sense of, uh, well, I figured out that I needed to use this item on this piece of the environment, thus solving the puzzle. Whereas if you just can go around and basically hold down the mouse on everything and see, oh, I can use this inventory item, item on that, then that's becoming, you know, uh, just just- Less about puzzle solving and, and yep. more about 
maybe and I'm maybe I'm pix- pixel hunting. Reading this incorrectly, like it may have actually been that you had to, you know, sort of click the click the icon on it, but then you could choose what you did with that item, whether you sorted, it, whether you right. I don't know. Cut it. Still, I wouldn't. Dug, I wouldn't be surprised if there up. were games that that did that sort of concept context yep. sensitivity. Um, so it was an as it was definitely a novel way of doing it, but yeah, I'd, it was somewhat short lived. I don't recall any recent ones that have particularly used that style. No, the verb coin. But uh, as far as I can, as I far do, as I can think, there's literally only like three games that use it. Yeah, and I even do like then, it, like Return to Zork is a bit of a stretch to say that that uses the verb coin. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, one th- one thing that is interesting about it, though, actually, is it sort of has uh, it sort of has a descendant in like the style of say Mass Effect when you're using um, like the dialogues uh, and all of the the radial kind of menus on consoles. Yeah. Uh, actually, when you think about it, are uh, somewhat similar to that. I guess less so because usually that's more of a selection screen than apply this verb to this thing. But I don't know. It, it has it has a similar sense to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so, yeah. And from this point, Adventure Games sort of streamlined even more and really, uh, really started going down to just two verbs. Uh, which we generally look at to sort of get a description of of something, obviously, uh, and use, which was then kind of just for any sort of interaction was a use. If you wanted to talk to someone, use. If you wanted to pick something up, use. Yeah. And this is somewhat controversial, I feel like. What are are your thoughts on it in general? Yeah, I don't don't like using people. <laughs> You're not a user, no, and and really, that's it. It at this stage becomes a little bit too simplified, too too far down the path. Um, yeah, I still think one of the best games to use this this idea was um, was the dig. Yeah, yeah, but I- mainly because you weren't often talking to people. You know, it was set on a it was a very solitary, very game. solitary game. Yeah, it did make sense for that because that was the dig was actually a lot more about sort of relatively complex puzzles in certain ways uh, and really exp- exploration and it, it wasn't necessary. And again, not being a comedy game, you didn't really feel the loss of of those options. Uh, whereas a more recent game that did it to many people's chagrin was Broken Age, yeah. the big. Huge kickstarted Tim Schafer game, where a lot of people were hoping, you know, something more like Day of the Tentacle, where you had the nine verbs, and there was a whole lot of extra humour in that. T- Tim Schafer, the um, one of the one of the lead designers on uh, Day of the Tentacle, uh, the creator of Full Throttle, um, the creator yes. of Grim Fandango, Grim Fandango, um, uh, which also technically used this just look and use. Yes. Uh, although it did feel a bit more natural in that game because it was the sort of 3D and because it wasn't actually point and click, it was look and click. <laughs> yeah. Again, uh, you had you'd to- you'd walk around the world and- You yeah. had to sort of move to the place and then you could only interact with something when you were close enough and it sort of brought back some of the some of the initial problems of the text parser. Yeah, a little. There were definitely some awkward things where you couldn't quite find the spot 
yep. uh, to, to look at the right thing. Um, but yeah, on, on Broken Age, that was definitely a big disappointment for a lot of people because they, they just had the left click and right click for use and look at. Uh, and they were the only two verbs you had other than, of course, the items in your inventory. But even then, like unlike the games like Day of the Tentacle, where you might find yourself with 12 things in your inventory at once. Yep. Uh, generally in Broken Age, you had maybe four or five max because- it was just sort of the puzzles were more self-contained mm. in that you'd use those inventory items before you got more. And so, look, I actually, I, I really like Broken Age. I think it told a great story. I think it was really funny in a lot of ways and looked amazing. Um, I, I like the way that each of them sort of, each of the two games complemented each other. Oh, absolutely. The two stories in the in there, yeah, like, and, and the way it came together at the end. Yeah. It was a really, it was a really good game, but- I do somewhat agree that simplifying them down to that degree, you, you feel like you lose something from the classics. Yeah, you, I, I feel like you you're now sort of going through an interaction interactive fiction with inventory puzzles rather than you know you occupying that person and you telling that person what to do and having control over what they do. And I can see why it's gone this way. Because of production budgets, uh, you know, because of the high resolution required these days, you know, you can't just be a one person, you know, a game designer uh, that easily and, and come up with um, an adventure game that is of kind of production quality, right? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, not that a lot of those early Sierra ones and stuff, they weren't a single person. There are a lot of artists and writers and things that worked on those. Uh, but there are also a lot of games out there particularly in the indie space, that are just one person, right? Mm, definitely. Uh, and a lot of those- you know, And look, this isn't something we've talked about yet. We've mostly talked about kind of the, the big name- Studios. The big name studios. Uh, but uh, the indie games are doing some interesting stuff there too. So, a, a lot of them are taken after the verb uh, bar, mm-hmm. the verb bar way. I guarantee you probably can find some verb coin things there. Uh, some some of the standouts for sure are the Wadget Eye games. Yep. And look, a lot of those use a bit more of this two two verb, you know, look and use style uh, because they are very narrative driven, much more narratively driven than sort of puzzles. They're often a lot more dialogue puzzly. Hmm. But you know, on an interface space, you know, particularly the Blackwell series, brought in the idea of sort of thoughts and ideas as inventory items, which kind of gives you your, like, sets of verbs then. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, in that's general, cool. that's the case with your inventory, right? The inventory is generally sort of just another single verb that you can use on certain things. But, but yeah, having it as these ideas in your notepad that you can then, I mean, for one, bring up in dialogue trees, but also utilise as as verbs to, to kind of connect that information with something in the world uh, is very interesting. Hmm. Yeah, so look, I th- I think there are a lot of positives as well to to simplifying it down to that degree. Accessibility is definitely one. Oh, definitely. Uh, you know, we t- we talked about accessibility back uh, with the text parsers in that that was a little bit inaccessible. I think the verb bar helped that a little. The verb coin, and again, one of the things we actually didn't talk about with the verb coin is it is it. Well, Sam and Max did this too, but it was a move from English words to iconography right yes. so you're just using icons for these things and the sierra games did that too 
but like that helps with accessibility, right? Like you don't have to be able to read English to know that an eye is going to generally tell you something. Hmm. Obviously, often then the game is speaking in English, but in general, um, just from an interface point of view. But but localization becomes a lot easier in that you're not having to localize yeah. something on the screen. You're just having to localize like scripts in the background. Yeah. And which, I, look, I know that was a big problem for Thimbleweed Park with their localization because with their verb bar, you know, doing things like their German localization, the words were a lot longer. Like they had trouble- with fitting yep. the words down there and that sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, look, I, I think going- I think the simplification brings accessibility with it. And and when you go straight down to just the look and use, you know, anybody, anybody can pick that up and, and figure out, oh, like, I can look at things, I can find out something about something, or I can interact with something. I think what it also brings is, is a f- more solid focus on the story that's being told. Rather than working out, okay, which verb do I need to interact with this? You know that if you go, if you can interact with something, it's the interact button, or it's or it's the look button, or sometimes you have to select an inventory item. But you're much more limited in what you can do, so that you focus more into the story and solving the puzzle, rather than okay, which combination of verbs do I need to actually do this? Yes, yeah, which of course was sometimes the puzzle. You know, knowing, again, uh, this comes down to the nuance, but knowing to pull something versus pushing it in yep. a, I don't know, in a, in a Monkey Island game, you know, that was the puzzle. And, and that's fine, but that's not to say that you can't come up with similar type of puzzles where it's used a particular, like using a particular inventory item is really the same as using a particular verb. It's just understanding what that interaction is going to be and figuring out that that's the solution to, Solve whatever you're trying to yep. solve. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I think that that what you'd lose mostly affects comedy games, uh, other than the sort of world building stuff that we talked about. But there are other ways to do that as well through dialogue and and even through using your inventory items as as verbs in that way. But yeah, it's definitely it's definitely got its ups and downs, and it's definitely the most I would say the most popular way to do it now, uh, without a doubt. Yeah. It, it certainly seems that um, every man and his dog who who comes up with an adventure game idea is just into the simple, the simple version now. Um, one that we played recently was the Dark Side Detective, and that was a, se- yeah. a series of individual episodes uh, contained within a game, but it was all very, very simple, like um, maybe a maximum of ten screens to a to an episode. Yeah, and look, the puzzles weren't hard but they weren't basic either they managed quite well within that limited scope to to create some interesting puzzles that made sense Mm -hmm. and another another set of games that use a very similar thing was the telltale series of adventure games like they yeah used um as close to you know the simple point and click Especially like the Sam and Max uh, seasons and the- um- Look, they obviously brought other things to the table with their branching stuff, which we won't go into here. But yeah, they definitely went down that simplification route uh, for the purpose of telling a story, right? Yeah. Like the Telltale games are really focused on story and character interaction. And some, like some of those games, really the puzzle solving comes down to just move across the screen and click everything. Hmm. But that's for those games that works, right? Because it, it really is mostly about the dialogue 
and, and the story and the characters. Very much so. So, yeah, look, that's kind of taken us from, you know, the very early days to the current current space. But there's there's still some outliers out there. There are some some different things and, and maybe we want to, you know, quickly go back and, and maybe talk about our favourite uses of some of these things because there are so many adventure games out there that have done kind of interesting and novel things with some of these interfaces. One I, one I actually wanted to talk about was with the, uh, with the verb bar, Monkey Island, the very first Monkey Island, really used this to comedic effect where there was a scene uh, where you would go through a door and once you were through that door, it was basically, it was kind of like a cutscene that would play out. But the way it did it was it would emulate you selecting verbs and making sentences with them based on things in your inventory. And you'd see, you know, pick up beaver spray and you'd see it show up in your inventory. And then, you know, it'd go, al- go along a little bit more and then the beaver spray would get used on something ridiculous. And it gave them the opportunity to create this scene without having to do any of the graphics for it because you were everything was hidden behind a wall yeah and all you were really seeing was what Guybrush the main character was doing with his verbs and his inventory so it was really utilizing that that interface to to make the comedy and to make that scene I, I found that really interesting yeah that's it's certainly one of those things that just sticks in your mind as as a great use of the of the interface itself yeah um, Absolutely, I'm trying to think of of an actual interface that that did something similar, but I don't I don't think any game used the interface in in that sort of way. No, it's a real kind of breaking the fourth wall moment, really. I mean, yes and no. Like, it doesn't actually acknowledge that they're in a game or anything. It doesn't address the audience. Oh, he does address the audience a couple of times. Well, okay, that's true. That that's a different aspect of the fourth wall breaking, though I suppose. But yeah. this this actual you know uh, building up the sentences and using the inventory without the users' um, interactions, it's sort of acknowledging that the interface is there without, uh, yeah, without fully breaking the fourth wall. So yeah, I, I just thought it was a really interesting use, and yeah, I, I can't think of any other games that have done that. No, no. So some other interfaces. Something similar to the verb coin was used by Leisure Suit Larry 7. But they mm-hmm. they took it in an interesting way in that you'd you'd see an object that you want to interact with and you could hold down the button and you'd get a list of verbs in English that you could choose between. But if you didn't see what you wanted to do with this particular thing, say you had a kumquat tree and you you wanted to say, I don't know, fondle the kumquats you could i mean that's a very interesting example i hope that was actually in the it, game Trevor, i'm that's pretty the sure it actually was. thought of <laughs> but basically you could select the kumquats in the verb bar you had down the bottom an other section you went into there and then you could type in what you wanted to do so it brought in the text parser and the um and the verb coin sort of idea or a verb menu as it were as it was yeah look i think that's an interesting wrinkle on it because it kind of adds and removes things that we've talked about already it opens up that space for now you're not limited to your verbs yep uh so if you have a very context sensitive verb it can be used there 
the downside of that, of course, is the player really has to know that it needs to use particular verbs there. uh, Otherwise, it's not going to. Now, I believe a lot of it was comedic effect, which is- Well, that's it. Exactly what it should be used for. And that's what I was going to say as well, is that it also gives that opportunity then for the funny responses, uh, as many as they'd like, basically, as many as they can fit in there. Uh, and, you know, there's obviously diminishing returns on that. Most people aren't going to type in everything, but you, you can imagine the sorts of things that a legislative player would type in and have a good response to that. Hmm. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that's an interesting little little wrinkle on that. Yeah. So, one, <laughs> one I've seen recently, and this game isn't out yet, but uh, we'll try to link to the Twitter post in the show notes. It's a first-person adventure game, which we haven't spoken of. There are a few of yep. these. Normality is one. Normality back in the day, yeah. Um, which and look, there are you could call a lot of it first-person games, adventure games in sort of ways, but we're really talking about inventory puzzles, etc. I mean, technically, but- Doom is a point-and-click adventure game. It's just that you've <laughs> your main inventory <laughs> item is a gun. Your main verb is shoot. Yeah. <laughs> and occasionally, you but no, in this <laughs> in this very interesting game in development. You literally throw verbs at things in the environment. Ah, yes, I remember seeing this. You showed me. Yeah, I sent you the link. So what a great idea! You know, it's it's a fantastic idea. There's a the little video I saw was you know he's just in a room, and he sort of cycle. They cycle through their verbs and they fire one out, and it physically fall like moves through the world, hits the window, gives them a little thing about it. They switch over to use. As it hits, you know, again, as it hits the window, the window opens. Uh, and from what I've seen, they're going to add some interesting things in there with gravity and stuff. Like you can't necessarily click on something that's up high because you can't throw your verbs that far. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, really, really cool idea for taking that classic verb, you know, verb environment interaction and and doing something interesting with it. Yeah, that's that's really cool. So, another outlier was the game Loom. That had a very interesting interface in the Mm -hmm. fact that Mm -hmm. you couldn't interact with anything at all in the world. But what you had was you had a magic staff that you'd do spells with that were based off of um, some simple, like, Simon Says sort of games or you know, the, the old game Simon where you- Yeah, you had to play like a series of music notes, but they were all, they were colour-coded and, and that sort of thing. And so, it, so it, one of the things was like turn white to green and green to white. Um, you know, you, you played the spell one way and it would turn something white into something green and you turn it the other, you'd play it backwards and it would um, play, it would reverse it. Right. Um, you had like a spell to fill. You had a spell to turn straw into gold. You had like all these different- different sort of spells and everything in your adventure game was or in the adventure game was was solved by using a different variation Mm -hmm. of the um of the spell yeah that's definitely a really interesting one and that's quite early on um yeah before monkey island before monkey island right yeah but they never tried doing it again like it's it's yeah i haven't seen anything certainly like a very very once-off version of the um of that that type of interface. yeah, and obviously it's different. Like it, it fit in with the plot. Like it was very plot driven. Yes, in that way that you were you're sort of one of these artisans of this particular craft. Let me just say that that game is batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't. I never actually played through it. Uh, I think I actually found that interface quite difficult as a child. Yes, in understanding it. Um, so uh, I've I, completed I it, it with the help of a walkthrough. And look, the story was well worth it to go through it. If you can get your hands on yep. it, I'd choose the FM Towns version rather than the um, rather than any of the PC versions. Um, mainly because they had like CD quality music and um, some speech mm-hmm. through it as well, which was really good. So one other adventure game that I'd like to bring up that is kind of a weird, um, weird one for Sierra. Gabriel Knight Three. <laughs> yes, this and this one's infamous for some of the ridiculousness of its puzzles, which is not relevant to the interface no. as such, but. The interface was very, very different to anything else that had come before it. Basically, you controlled the camera, and it was a fully 3D environment in which you could take the camera anywhere that you liked in the world, within certain sort of parts of it. But basically, you could, you could, you know, navigate the camera to near, near to the cabinet and, and click on the cabinet, and Gabriel would gradually walk into the scene. But basically, you had full 3D control of the environment. You could take the camera wherever you wanted, looking into- Yeah, basically this sort of omniscient uh, cameraman yeah. then uh, directing the characters. It, it certainly used that particular part of it more outside each room that you sort of went into. You sort of had control within that room. But it wasn't yeah. a first person. It wasn't a third person. It was sort of like you were you were the camera operator and sort of saying, "Hey, Gabriel, look over here." <laughs> it was just <laughs> yeah, a, his little fairy friend. An interesting way of doing it, especially because Gabriel Knight Two was an FMV game, and that's just hilarious. Like, yeah, well, all the Gabriel Knight games have been very different because Gabriel Knight One was a fairly classic. I think it had the verb bar, didn't it? Yeah, it had a verb bar, and then Gabriel Knight Two had a verb bar, and then was FMV mm-hmm. around Sierra's famous like FMV style of um, Gabriel Knight: The Beast Within, Phantasmagoria, and Phantasmagoria mm-hmm. Two. All three, yep. FMV came out on fucking. Six or five, many five CD to ROMs. seven CD ROMs. <laughs> um, Phantasmagoria was literally seven chapters long, and each chapter was a disc. <laughs> yeah, that was the period where the more discs you had, the better the game was, right? <laughs> yeah, so Phantasmagoria was their best, and like King's Quest One must have been their worst. <laughs> uh, yeah, so look, uh, it's it's really interesting how. These adventure game interfaces uh, have have evolved and changed over the years. There's kind of been a bit of a resurgence lately. I feel like in the genre. Um, yeah, definitely. the The first one that I sort of I sort of remember seeing come out was, you know, I was following Thimbleweed Park for a long time, but that mm-hmm. brought us to an Australian developer of Jacob Janoka and his game Paradigm. And yep, my God, yep. that was good. Uh, as I mentioned before, all the the games. Both developed and pu- published by Wadjet Eye, yep, uh, are really a really quite interesting, uh, mostly dramatic games rather than comedic. Uh, is kind of their forte, and particularly unavowed recently, really really interesting. Yep. Um, um, oh, actually, that reminds Red me. Strings while we're talking about <laughs> yes, while we're talking about outliers, the Red Strings Club, mostly set in a single bar, and one of the ways you interface one of the interfaces you use is literally bartending 
uh, but very much in the way of the story because you're kind of a, a bartender with special powers that if you mix the right drink, you can tr- sort of trigger that person's particular emotions. Very, very interesting. Very well done. Uh, a lot of different paths through it. I need to go back and replay it. I've only played one path through it, mm-hmm. but it's literally got a visual uh, representation of the different paths you've taken, basically the different strings, right? The whole idea is you're pulling these strings through this town. Uh, very, very cool game. Yeah, that, so- that sounds awesome. And, I mean, look, Adventure, it went away for a while. I think it's I think it's definitely coming back. It's certainly one of the best ways to, to oh, for a storyteller to tell the story that they want to they want to talk about and i think it's just the type of game where the the interactions with the game as we've talked about most align with what you're trying to do which is just tell a story yeah when when you know action adventures or shooters like first person shooters try to be a bit more story based it's difficult because again the main verb people expect to be able to use is jump and shoot yeah whereas yeah with with a good point and click adventure game it's just about exploration and and talking and combining things yeah <laughs> which look, what else do we do in life <laughs> combine bullets with head <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd still put that as point and click yeah so anyway i think maybe we'll leave it there uh, we've gone over a lot of different games, much more than this audience is usually used to, you know, hearing about. But uh, hopefully, this sort of different style was interesting to all you listeners out there. Uh, hopefully, you go and check out Bitstorm. Again, we're an improvised comedy game design podcast. You can find us at uh, podchaser.com/bitstorm. We're also part of the Eight Bit Collective, so you can go to eightbit.net/bitstorm, uh, and you know, just or just Google us, and, and we'll come up. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at BitStormCast. Yep, and we're Facebook.com slash BitStormCast And, and please well. follow at Platt and Pit on Twitter. If you're on this feed, you're probably already listening to Platforms and Pitfalls, but they are a great podcast. Because a bit of a, I don't know, kindred spirit to us. Uh, you know, they obviously go a bit deeper into these specific mechanics, but on BitStorm, we're often- exploring the the boundaries and the limits of different game mechanics and how they could be applied. So, uh, it was it was a really great collaboration. And, and if you want to continue talking about adventure game, like, interfaces, like, we we would love to continue the conversation. So, um, yeah, hit us up on Twitter. Hit us up Facebook, on Twitter. Um, hit us up at, at Pitstormcast and make sure that you tag at PlatinPit in there as well. And we'll continue the, the topic on social media. Absolutely. So, uh, I think we'll we'll finish it up there. I'd like to thank you for listening to our episode of Platforms and Pitfalls. Hopefully, you made it all the way through and we didn't make too many big mistakes. (laughs) Yeah. That's another thing you can hit us up on Twitter about. (laughs) uh, Correct us if you need to. Uh, But, yeah, I've been Ben Slinger. I've been Trevor Scott. Don't fall off that platform into that pit. (laughs) 